He's a real-life trial lawyer with a persona straight out of a John Grisham novel and served over 20 years in the Virginia House of Delegates. He's also pretty funny. I am pleased and proud to have my friend Ward Armstrong uh, as my guest on The Cultural Scavenger. Many of you know uh, Ward is former delegate Ward Armstrong, and you served in the Virginia General Assembly for, what, over 20, 20 years? years? Yeah. Here. You were the House Minority Leader for a while. Five. Five, five of those years. The yeah. last five. Tell me. And I will tell you that it, six months after I lost my election, I was in the grocery store. A lady walks up to me and says, wait a minute. I know you. You used to be somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you Ward Didn't Armstrong? Take long for uh, <laughs> sand, yes. sand to cover your footprint. Yeah. Well, well, now we've covered the low light. Uh, tell me, yeah. tell me the highlights. Uh, I know that I remember that story uh, of you escorting the Queen. In the, I did. Yeah, tell me about that. Um, for the four hundredth anniversary of Jamestown. 1607-2007, the queen came to visit. I guess she got over that whole Revolutionary War thing, and uh, (laughs) she decided, or she was invited to come back, and because I was the minority leader, I was on the escort committee, which meant that I got 30 seconds quality time with Queen Elizabeth. Did you have any conversation, chit-chat? Tell me about that. We we didn't talk a lot about affairs of state. No, however, <laughs> we uh, we're getting ready to uh, go upstairs. She said she was kind of half kidding. I think said you're not expecting me to walk all these stairs, are you? Said, Your Majesty, we could take the elevator if you prefer, <laughs> but but no, we didn't uh, we didn't have a, a lengthy uh, chat. But you know, she was she was very nice, and and she had a sense of humor. She had a sense of humor. Yeah, I think she, I think she has more sense of humor sometimes than she, than she lets on. But yeah, she was. It was it was an interesting interesting day. It's not every day the queen comes to where you work. We had to go through royal protocol training. Did you know you don't stick your hand out to shake the hands with the queen? If she puts her hand out to shake your hand, okay. But you can't put your hand. The other thing is, of course, we're not British subjects, and so we don't bow and curtsy. You know, we're American citizens. But but it was nice. She came, and, and like I say, we had all of about a minute, and we escorted her into the chamber, and she gave a little speech and stayed in the, um, stayed in the governor's mansion. I got to sleep in the queen's bed. That segues to another story. I have slept in the governor's mansion twice. The first time I don't remember very much because my father worked for Governor Stanley. He ran a veneer plant for him in Ferrum, and they were friends. And when he was governor back in the mid-50s, my parents were invited by him to come down and spend the night, spend the weekend in the mansion. And when they did, my mother was pregnant with me. And so I don't remember an awful lot about the first visit, but I always wanted to go back. And so Tim Kaine, when he was governor on his 
he'd always said, hey, you and Pam need to come spend the night. And I don't know, one thing and another, he's busy and with that whole governor thing. And uh, we never got to do it. But anyway, he and Pam were talking and said, you know, we never did get to do that. He said, you know what? We have already, this is a week before his term was up. And he said, we've already moved out so they can repaint and do everything for the next governor. Bob McDonald was coming in. But he said, you know what? We want to spend the night one more time. On the night that I give the State of the Commonwealth Address, which is the first night of the General Assembly session, uh, you know, the General Assembly comes over for a reception afterwards, but you and Ward, or you might, don't tell Ward, because we'll surprise him, and, but you, you all just stick around. And so Pam packed a bag, and after the reception, Tim said, come on, we're, let's go upstairs to the residence. What's going on? He said, well, you're going to spend the night. So I got to spend the night in the Queen's bedroom where she and Prince Philip slept. Ah, oh, I was going to remember a little more about that one. So, yeah, yeah, we stayed up till two in the morning telling more stories and having a good time. The Queen's <laughs> bedroom and Lafayette's bedroom, where Lafayette stayed. And I can't remember which bedroom it was that the Governor Stanley's grandkids set on fire when he, <laughs> when he was kind of, Apparently, they were uh, playing with matches and set fire to... <laughs> One of the rooms up there, but <laughs> and it, they did not burn it down. So interesting to walk through the doors of that place because you feel like it's a home, but you feel like you're in a museum. Well, it, it is, and the, the downstairs area—it's kind of like I guess the White House. The downstairs area is all the public area, and the upstairs—you'd be surprised at how small the quarters are upstairs. It's basically a little apartment. They have a little mm-hmm. kitchen and dinette table, a sitting room, and then bedrooms. But, I mean, it's literally an apartment. Of course, the whole downstairs is open, so they can have general assembly or receptions right. over there. And you probably knew this, but that mansion is the the oldest serving house. Continuously or serving mansion, yeah in, the, yeah. in the country. Well, and the Virginia General Assembly is the oldest yes. continuously meeting legislative body. Everybody thinks, oh, the Congress is over. No, it's not. Virginia General Assembly met in the summer of 1619. Yep. House of you Burgesses. Know first, you want to know the first thing the General Assembly did? First two things? No. Shows you how nothing's changed in 400 years. Uh, the first thing they did was appoint a study committee to study the new charter. And the second act of assembly in 1619 was to levy a poll tax. So appointing study committees and raising taxes ain't nothing new. Right. And trying to, and they, they got the, they they got the jump on trying to suppress the vote. That's right. Obviously the atmosphere at any political level is so different than it was when you were there. How do you think you'd fare if you were back in the GA? How would you, uh, how would you deal with it? Well, I like to think I'm an adaptable soul. That being said, though, it's gotten worse. When I was first there, it wasn't nearly what it is today in terms of partisanship. I had great friends who were Republicans. I was even pretty good friends with Morgan Griffith. People I was going to I was going to bring his name up in one of the last conversations that I had with him uh, before he uh, went off and to ride the crazy train. He uh, he said. He, he said, yeah. you know, back then, Ward and I would fight like 
cats and dogs on the floor and then we'd go out and have a beer afterward. Right. Well, he doesn't drink. I'd have two beers and he'd have none. But, uh, (laughs) but no, he used to come into my office and bitch and moan about his caucus and I'd bitch and moan about mine. He actually was not what I would call part of the inner circle of the Republicans back then. He was actually a little too moderate, if you can believe that. But yeah, Bill Howell, Kirk Cox and, uh, they, they didn't let Morgan play in any reindeer games as much. Uh, he was the majority leader, which is odd. But, yeah, he would come in. But, you know, I, I was a little disappointed in Morgan in this signing on to this lawsuit lately. Morgan knows better. Well, he does. But and, I think to the point earlier, because of the atmosphere, right. he has to play to the crazy base. I mean, he to does. the cult. Well, yeah, I, I know the ninth District. I know he but, you know, I, at some point in time, for example, I supported Barack Obama. You know how much good that did me politically in my district? Zero. Zero. But I felt like that you know, it was the right thing to do, and it, it did result, you know, his in Obamacare, which was, when it recall, when it first started off, it was pariah. Now everybody loves it because, you know, we have, gosh, how many million, you know, 25 million Americans that are insured now that weren't, and there's it's more available. But, but, but be that as it says, I supported the guy, and it probably in, contributed greatly to my demise politically. Sure. Well, at some point in time, you got to say, I'm not going to go along with this. But Exactly. The Democratic Party in the state has changed so much. I, I remember <laughs> when I uh, <laughs> made the mistake of. Uh, allowing you to let me run for the House of Delegates. <laughs> I'll never yeah. forgive you for that. Yeah, no, yeah. That was my that fault. You. <laughs> I, I, you know, oh, I had geez. enough. I had enough of the Board of Supervisors. Anything would have been fine, even a defeat, which I soundly got trounced. But but I remember, you know, the joke was is in those days the Republicans were Republicans and the Democrats were Republicans. I mean, there really wasn't that much difference to a degree, and now it's right. it's completely changed. Well, it it has, and the state has changed. And uh, yeah, I still have people come up on the street and they're trying to be nice and say, "Oh, why don't you run again?" I said, "Well, my wife would leave me." Number one, number two. <laughs> I couldn't get elected as a Democrat here if I handed out $100 bills. Yeah, just, or exactly. And in this district, because I've had the same thing, right. people say, well, why don't you run against, run in the ninth? And I said, if Jesus Christ put a right. D next to his name and ran Pretty in the ninth, he wouldn't, he wouldn't get elected. Funny, everything reminds me of a story. My last election, I was uh, on election day traveling around, and in Patrick County, where route 103 meets Route 8. That's a major intersection. It's a T intersection. Yeah. And everybody puts their political signs there because people coming up 103, you have to stop and turn left and mm-hmm. right. So everybody has their signs there. So when election day was coming through, there was Creedee's sign. There was my sign, my opponent. I've got, there were, there were about 10. And right there, just a little left of center was a sign that says, I'll take Jesus. <laughs> And I said, well, wait a minute. I didn't know he was on the ballot this year. <laughs> uh, you mentioned some characters before, but can you can you share your favorite Dickie Cranwell story? And you can do the setup on that because he's, he's one of my favorites. Well, yeah, he 
Dick and I were very, uh, well, still are, we're very close. I supported him for speaker. He lost by one vote, which is why I spent a little bit of time in political purgatory myself by having voted against Tom Moss, who did become speaker. But no, and I, I we tell this story around Dick, so it sounds a little mean, but he, he laughs with it too. When he was a kid, uh, he was involved in an accident uh, that um, had something to do with glass or something flew into his eye and literally put his eye out. He only has one eye. He has a gla- glass eye uh, in the other. And um, we always used to say, uh, can you tell which one of Dick Cranwell's eyes is the glass eye? It's the one with the faint gleam of compassion in it. He <laughs> <laughs> was a rough character. Boy, you could throw high, hard, and inside. Boy, no kidding. No mercy. The other joke, and his... He married Elizabeth, who was a few years his junior. Way a few years. Uh, yeah. And uh, we used to laugh that every day in the House of Delegates, we had to recess for about 30 minutes every day at 3 o'clock so we could go out and meet his wife getting off the school bus. <laughs> Chip Woodrum Chip, from, oh, from Rona. Gotcha. Yeah, Chip was in the – he was in the legislature for 20-plus years, and he was – kind of the, the holy trinity of Dick Cranwell, Chip Woodrum, and Vic Thomas. He was a heavy drinker. In fact, when they were lowering the blood alcohol level from 0.10 to 0.08, he said, damn, Woodrum's a 0.08 at breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, after six drinks, he was bulletproof. After eight drinks, he was invisible. <laughs> Not invincible, invisible. Invisible, yeah. He, 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 thought, he thought people couldn't see him. He was invisible. <laughs> I've described you as a real-life trial lawyer straight out of a John Grisham novel, but another great author in our area, Judge Martin Clark, actually has a Ward Armstrong character in a couple of his novels. So tell me how that came to be. Well, he likes to use real people in his books. He'll change them around a little bit, but um, lots of times he'll use the actual person's name, as he did in my case. I got a shout out and come from a couple of his earlier books. So we got some characters saying we got to call Delegate Armstrong or whatever. But in his current book, The Substitution Order, which is very good. I've read it. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's his best book. This is number five. But Ward Armstrong is the lawyer that represents the main character, mm-hmm. who is a lawyer himself who's been disbarred, got into drugs and trouble and so forth. But it's a but it's a totally fictitious Ward Armstrong because the Ward Armstrong in the book drives a red Mercedes convertible. I drive a red BMW convertible, so there's no <laughs> oh, not none at all, no, no life, resemblance. But, uh, <laughs> but no, he uh, he and I have always had a, a, a wonderful relationship. I think he's one of the finest uh, judges in the state. He and Judge Williams are mm-hmm. super judges. He's now uh, retired from the bench and is writing full time, but you know, he's a, he's a good author and he's a, he's a good guy. I would tell you that. I don't know if he would want me telling this. I'm going to tell it anyway. He donated (laughs) enough money last year. He gave a $2,000 bonus to every teacher in Patrick County. Wow. Each one. And you imagine how many of those there are. Yeah. But, uh, 
but yeah, he's a, he's a hell of a guy. He was great. He was a great uh, a judge. I think he's turned into a fine author. And for a period of time, his audio sales of his book exceeded those of John Grisham on Amazon. A fact wow. that he loves to point out. Your handle is Train Man. Yes, and you have a very elaborate setup. I've seen it. How, how did you get into it, and has it now overtaken your whole home? I don't see any in the background there, but it hasn't overtaken the whole home. It has overtaken the entire basement. But uh, three reasons: one, my grandfather was a conductor on the Frisco Railroad. Now he died before I was born, and so I credit DNA. But yeah, he was a uh, ran out of Kansas City. My dad was born; family lived in Kansas City. And he ran from Kansas City to Fort Scott in Kansas. That was his run on the Frisco. But that, number one. Number two, I grew up in Bassett. And Bassett, oh, yeah. that line that runs from Roanoke to Winston-Salem, has always been very heavily trafficked. When I was a kid, uh, they were uh, shuffling boxcars of furniture in and out all the time and trains going through all the time. And then, number three, my older brother had trains when I was born. Uh, Dad bought Morgan an American flyer set in 53. I was born in 56, so I was always in a house with electric trains. And I, we had a permanent layout in the basement of American flyer, and I have all those trains. And over the years, I've added to it. My wife said if I bought one more train, she'd leave me. I sure will miss her. <laughs> uh, I'm 64. I've gotten trains every Christmas for 64 years, and I hope that there'll be some under the tree this year. Hey, Ward, what'd you get Pam for Christmas? Coronavirus. <laughs> oh, what a great segue. In my third That's podcast, for for those of you who haven't listened to it yet, uh, I it talks about my recent days as a case investigator. Yes. And, and so you're a part of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you take me through that first call? Yeah. When I called you, you thought I was someone from social services because I had to get a letter for one of your clients that. Yeah, in fact, your caller ID didn't have it on there. I looked down and see that. But yeah, I thought, like from social services, yeah, that one, who was it? Was it one of my clients? It was one of your clients that was, that he said, man, you. Wonder if it was the one that gave it to me. No, no, it was, (laughs) it wasn't it because. That was too many weeks ago. It was too many weeks ago, but the guy said, I got a court appearance and, and, you know, he said, I said, well, you can't go anywhere. He said, well, if if you don't get me a letter, they're going to throw me in jail. And I said, who's your attorney? I said, he said, Ward Armstrong. I said, oh, okay. So then. You got me a letter. I got, got, got you a letter and then you called called me back a couple of days later and said, well, my paralegal has come into contact with someone. What do I do? And I said, well, so how are you feeling? You said, well, I've got a little bit of a scratchy throat. I said, go get tested, which you did. And then I didn't hear from you. Yeah. And so I didn't, yeah. And I didn't hear back from you. So I figured, well, obviously everything's okay. So when I called you early, so I called you earlier this week Yep. And and on my personal phone, you pick it up and go, COVID central. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah. and my response was, well, I don't hear any coughing yet because I thought you were joking. And you said. Nope. <laughs> Although I kid around, I had a mild case or I probably wouldn't be sitting here kidding around. And I don't want to make, I mean, there are a lot of people that have gotten very sick and are dying. But, 
you know, it, uh, no, I, right before Thanksgiving, we think it was a client, uh, normally, uh, well, normally since March and April of this year, most of my client meetings have been by telephone or zoom or not in person meetings. Uh, occasionally we have to, it's pretty hard to sign a will. Uh, there's a certain execution process we go through and we have to do that in person, but generally speaking, do that. But right before Thanksgiving, a couple of clients said, well, we'll set up a telephone. No, we want to meet in person. And while we met in my waiting room, which is much larger than the conference room, after about 30 minutes, they took their mask down while I still had mine on, uh, didn't work. And so uh, the day after Thanksgiving holiday and the following Monday, uh, I felt really tired. And I thought, well, uh, you know, okay, I stayed up an hour late and slept in an hour. My body clocks up. So Tuesday the next day, I started feeling flu symptoms. Uh-oh. So Wednesday, I go over to Dr. Favero's office and get a rapid test. And he comes out to the car. Guess what? You're positive. And you could have knocked me over with a feather. I mean, it's you know disconcerting. As I say, people are dying of it. But yeah. fortunately, uh, I guess I got a pretty mild load. I had a temperature for, for three or four days. And when I say temperature, it never got higher than 100. And I felt fluey and achy for three or four days. But the worst symptom was fatigue. I, I'd go to get in bed at 830. And sleep for 12, 14 hours, get up, eat breakfast, and go back to sleep. And that for four or five, six days. Yeah. It knocks you. It just oh, knocks yeah. you on your it, ass. Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. And, and you are lucky. And it, this is a, a good yeah. coda to, the, to that episode because you are a testament to how it can affect someone. You know, One of the things that did my own contact tracing, everybody that I'd been in contact with, I picked up the phone and called. I'd been in court a couple of cases. I called the courts, all the lawyers, my client, and so forth. Fortunately, nobody that I had any, you know, some contact with, they were all uh, negative. But, yeah, but, but Pam also tested the same day and was negative. The following Monday, she went and took five days to come back, but she was positive. She the only symptom she had was loss of taste. Yeah. Although it, I add to that, she got a little meaner than she normally does. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the sides. That that is one of the symptoms. Yeah, mean, I lost my mean, taste. I lost my sense of taste and smell, yeah. and I got meaner. That that's I kind mean, of a yeah. That she goes got, along. She, got, she, got a little bit, no, she actually took very. You know, here I am in the in the, the bed and can't move. So no, I got a pretty good nurse. So we've been quarantined. Our quarantine technically was up yesterday. Well, yeah, you're so, you're clear. So I'll I'll be over shortly so. for the uh, for cold beer. I'm curious. Did you get a call from a case investigator? I did not. And I was a little surprised because I have that COVID wise app on my yeah. phone. But no, you know, and I that presume that the doctor's office would. Pam had her uh, test through Carillion, but mm-hmm. she didn't get a call either. I'm surprised, but then I'm not because. I think they became so overrun with it. When I was doing it, 
if you got tested positive, it would go immediately to the health department, whoever, right. you know, whoever. The, and so from there, it was supposed to get handed off to a case investigator. Well, I expect they're, they're overwhelmed. What is they this, are, 35, they are over, yeah. 3,500 cases a day in Virginia alone. Right. And we're <laughs> one of the states that's actually mitigating things pretty well, but that is exactly what's happened. It's, it is, they're not worried about contact tracing anymore because they just, because right. it's out it's there. Just it's, it's too many. Yeah, it's, it's almost 20 million people. Well, I'm going to get the vaccine. In fact, let's take this opportunity to, to I don't know why that wearing masks has become political. That's nuts. Well, okay. it, it is. And, and I'm very fastidious with wearing a mask and you even, even doing that, you still get it. But mm-hmm. I tell you, this is nothing to, to screw around with. And you know, there are people that are dying in this it, thing. 300,000 Americans have died, and you never know. I mean, you'd be Ward Armstrong and lucky and get a, a low dose of this thing, or you could be you know, one of the folks that. Uh, well, you know, so, that several of my cases died. that I, yeah, that I never <clears> talked <throat> to, you know, there were several that died, and I never talked yeah. to them because they were on a ventilator by the right. time I got their name. So yeah. it, it is, it's Russian roulette. And, well, and then you've I'm got. I'm going to have the vaccine as soon as. Yeah. It's available. It, and then you've got guys like this Bob Good, who is now the, you know, going into Congress, oh, yeah. who's out there saying that the whole thing is a hoax. It's a hoax. What are you, crazy? He is crazy. Well, but, <laughs> but again, it's a, it's yeah. a, he's, he's, he's preaching to the Yeah, these, these people that they're just dropping over dead for some other reason. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're in the hospitals on ventilators. I, you know, I it's, look, I, I'm a huge libertarian. I'm a, big freedom guy, but you know what? Your, your rights in when they start infringing on mine and start to, you know, you won't wear a mask and uh, you want to give this thing to me or somebody else or my family. Oh no, you you stop being liberty and freedom at that point. It's a public health issue. It is. It it is. Come on. Well, I've got to have you back on at some point. Why? Um, but, well, <laughs> because we've only scratched the surface of uh, the great stories. You know, I've known you for a long time. Our our girls went to school together. Proud to call you a friend. And I would say to the to the folks that are listening to this, if you ever need a great country lawyer, better call Ward. Go out of town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your Allison was in school with my kids, and you know we. We think about her a lot and, and what a uh, hole in your life that has been and continues to be. She was such a sweet, sweet young girl when I watched her grow up and was blossoming into not just a, a lovely adult, but also a fine journalist. And, uh, you know, there is nothing worse than losing a child. I think that's worse than losing yeah. parents, spouse and so forth. And, and there's not a day goes by that you don't think about her and I'm what do you do what do you say you know, nothing other than uh, I know you miss her terribly and what a great person she was that you can be proud as a father as to what a wonderful human being you raised and I'm sorry that her life was cut short thanks Warren well I'd like to think that um, she's enjoying what I'm doing and yeah this would uh yeah. Give her a smile and a chuckle, and it's... Yeah, uh, I believe in God. I believe in heaven. Hey, I'm a Democrat, people. I believe in God. <laughs> Fancy that. Yeah. 
Uh, hey, man, thanks so much for uh, allowing us to to chat and, and hear your stories. And uh, we'll do it again soon. I'm still full of crap, Andy. I know you are, but we want, <laughs> but, but we like to hear that crap. There you go. Oh yes. All right, Thank buddy. You, Have a merry Thank Christmas. Thank you for having me on. Merry Christmas. Yeah, take care. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from "Safe in the Arms of Love," a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And if you really liked what you heard, please consider becoming a contributor to the podcast. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening. <laughs>